Hello, everyone. Welcome to our inaugural SWART podcast. Uh, we're, we're trying something new here. You've been used to, uh, to our communications via, via memos, via webinars, via in-person, and we thought we'd try our, our hand at podcasts here, seeing the popularity of, of podcasts um, out there for all various topics. So today, again, this is our starting point, and we hope to grow our, our podcasts and uh, the quality of our podcasts. So, so bear with us as, as we grow here. And today, with our inaugural podcast, we're we're in extraordinary times, COVID-19 pandemic. You know, it's hard to imagine that uh, we are living through a pandemic. Pandemics seem to be something that we read about in the the history books. And here we are, all facing COVID-19. And I want you to understand that I know the anxiety that you're experiencing. I know the fear that you have. It's the fear of the unknown. You fear for your health, you fear for your safety, and of course, the health and safety of your family members and loved ones. It can be a stressful time right now. You know, a lot of family members, friends are out of work right now. It's it's tough times that we're living through. But I want you to know that we are in this together. We are resilient and we will get through this. It really is difficult to comprehend just how much of our daily lives have changed in such a short period of time. I mean, in the past few weeks, we've had a barrage of information regarding treatment updates, changes to personal protective equipment, the general news about the impact that COVID-19 has had on our communities and communities around the globe. And throughout this somewhat measured chaos, you continue to provide the excellent support for patients and ensure that they're provided with the appropriate and compassionate care that you do every day. And this serves as a testament to the dedication and professionalism of the paramedics that serve the Southwest region. We at SWARP want you to know that we're working hard at many levels to ensure that the best and safest practices are in place for you to continue the excellent service that you provide every day. And again, we understand how stressful times are right now and that there are many questions arising. We're working hard to answer those questions for you to the best of our ability and as quick as possible. Again, the landscape is changing so quickly that information provided on one day may be different from the next, and we understand how this leads to anxiety. Please do not hesitate to reach out and discuss issues or concerns. We're doing our best from our end to only push memos to you with new practice changes that have occurred due to COVID-19. And we offer a pool of information from our website and social media that you can access. I stress that we want you to be safe out there, so please keep up to date on any changes in practice and PPE guidelines. We want to ensure that you are safe on the front lines. The Ontario-based Hospital Medical Advisory Committee, otherwise known as the OBEG-MAC, is keeping your safety in mind with all decisions related to patient care during this pandemic. Please keep yourselves and each other safe and supported. Thank you for the excellent service you provide to our communities that you serve. We hope that you find this podcast enjoyable, informative, and we're happy to hear any feedback that you may have. Please send us messages via our social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Do we have TikTok yet? No, no, no TikTok yet. Maybe that's something we should look into, but please give us any feedback. And again, this is, this is our first podcast. We're going to grow it. Um, may start off as a little bit Mickey Mouse, but we're going to do our best to, to make it a high quality 
um, lights and laser show, as well as a lot of inform information that we can provide you here from SWORP. This next segment on the SWARP podcast is a general Q&A on COVID-19 with Dr. Sean Doran. First question, what is a coronavirus? Well, a coronavirus is actually just the name for a group of related viruses that typically cause disease in birds and mammals. However, from time to time, they can transmit to humans and then cause these respiratory infections. Um, COVID-19 is one type of coronavirus um, that was recently transmitted from animals to humans now is known to have the ability for human-to-human -human transmission. And other famous uh, coronaviruses out there? Well, the other sort of famous or notorious ones would be MERS and SARS in the last 20 years. Question number two, common presenting symptoms. Uh, the most common presenting symptoms that we know so far are fever, dry cough, shortness of breath, and or chest pain. Um, there have been some anecdotal reports of GI symptoms that potentially precede these. However, it's hard to know whether that's true or it's more just coincidental as things are changing we're learning more and more about this virus um, we do estimate that the sort of incubation period is approximately two to 14 days after exposure that's based primarily on MERS-CoV data and we also know that there are many patients that uh, will become infected are completely asymptomatic or have very mild symptoms that are similar to the common cold and what is the mortality rate of this infection mortality rate is a tough question to answer particularly as things are changing so fast and also each country has had a different ability to properly test for the virus and manage sort of the influx of patients. Um, the estimates currently are about, you know, 1% to 3% is probably the best guess of a realistic mortality rate. Um, however, we don't really know how many people are truly positive and only minimally symptomatic. So it's, we suspect that that rate is probably a little bit lower, closer to 1%. How does that compare to influenza? Influenza is, you know, about 0.1% to 0.2% in any given year. And uh, so it's, it's a significant difference, but uh, at the same time, not uh, to the extent that some people are concerned about. And what about age? Does that have an impact on mortality? It does. The mortality rate changes very uh, significantly, particularly as people get older. Um, greater than 85 is about a 10 to 15 percent uh, risk. Uh, patients 65 to 84, anywhere from 3 to 11 percent. Patients 55 to 64, anywhere from 1 to 3 percent. And generally less than 1 percent for patients 20 to 54 years old. Again, keeping in mind, these numbers are very subject to change as things are changing so quickly. Next question. Why do people die from this? A uh, number of reasons that people do die from this. Um, certainly sepsis and subsequent organ failure is fairly common. Um, there are some reports of a myocarditis-like condition that leads to cardiac arrhythmias and, and subsequent arrest. Um, and respiratory failure, secondary ARDS, is a pretty common cause of death. What is an aerosol-generating medical procedure, a.k.a. the AGMP? Well, an AGMP is generally uh, any type of procedure that is done uh, where aerosolization of viral particles could occur. Some sort of classic examples of this, and this is not a complete list, would be endotracheal intubation, bag mass ventilation, positive pressure ventilation, airway suctioning, high-flow oxygen, CPR, nebulizing medications, uh, all sorts of things that you've probably seen in recent changes to the ALS-PCS uh, in order to sort of prevent this from occurring in the back of the truck. And I understand there is a list of AGMPs that will be on our website. Can you tell us some other good resources that you use in your everyday practice, Dr. Dorn, that may be beneficial to paramedics? I think there's lots of good resources out there based on whether you're looking for sort of general information about sort of statistics and things like that, or more detailed information about the medical treatment and so on and so forth. 
Certainly, John Hopkins has an interesting map, and that's sort of interacted and updated fairly regularly. Of course, the CDC has a useful site. Wikipedia actually has some nice sort of background information just on coronaviruses in general, if you want to just read some of that. Um, EMRAP, which typically is subscription-based, had a good sort of COVID-19 update there recently that I believe is available for free. Uh, you just have to search that, and we'll put the link up there as well. Uh, the Government of Canada has some detailed web pages as well dedicated to COVID-19. Uh, I mean, there's loads of resources out there, but these are kind of some of the ones that I think are kind of nice and handy to sort of look at and sort of get a good feel for what's going on. And where can our audience find links to those resources? Uh, they will find us on our SWARP website. Any particular location on that? The COVID-19 section. There we go. Thank you, Dr. Doran. Very informative. We look forward to seeing podcast two. Next up on the SWARP podcast, we have Dr. Lauren Valdis with recent practice changes due to COVID-19. So welcome to uh, Dr. Valdis, formerly Dr. Leggett. Same person, different name. Our, uh, our Director of uh, Medical Education, Lauren's joining me here today to discuss some of the practice changes in response to COVID-19. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks, Matt, and thanks for the intro. Uh, so we'll keep this uh, as short as we can for you, but basically we've been keeping you up to date on the SWARP webpage with the things you need to know. So there's lots of information that's coming out minute to minute. Our job is to give you the information that you need to know in order to change your practice. So those have mostly been the OBEG memos, and so we're going to be talking about those practice changes now. So Matt, can you tell us about the memos and the ALS-PCS? Absolutely, Lauren. So as you're probably all well aware, in order to make changes to the ALS-PCS, it's, it's quite a process that, uh, that occurs, um, and we release these changes um, kind of in, in batches. However, um, we're, in, we're in different times right now with COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, if you refer to the preamble in the ALS-PCS, there's actually some verbiage around extenuating circumstances. And suffice to say that this pandemic is an extenuating circumstance. And the exact language uh, within the preamble states, it is acknowledged that there may be circumstances and situations where complying with the ALS-PCS is not clinically justified possible or prudent and gives a few examples there, you know, from multiple crews on scene, trap patient, extenuating circumstances, competing patient care priorities. So as we, we met as a provincial group, along with our ministry colleagues, um, it was decided that, you know, yes, this COVID-19 meets that definition of extenuating circumstance. As such, the changes in practice you, you see uh, in these memos is related to this extenuating circumstance. They're not, they're not, um, they're, they're temporary changes during this, this pandemic. Um, and the, the idea behind these changes is that they're, they're designed to ensure uh, provider safety and to reduce the transmission of COVID-19 in order to protect yourself as a paramedic, uh, to protect any uh, family members or bystanders on scene, and just generally the community as a whole. Thanks, Matt. So not a new ALS-PCS, just something that um, we're following right now during the pandemic and things will go back to normal after. So these changes are in place to help reduce transmission of the virus, to protect yourself, any family members or bystanders on scene, and the community as a whole. So the first memo came out February 5th, 2020. Won't go into the detail of that because it's been replaced by the latest one, March 20th, 2020. Correct. You think back to February 20th. 20 there, you know, mid-February, I don't think uh, 
you know, a lot of, of people understood what was what was coming down the pipeline and what our world would look like here in that, you know, April 1st, 2020. So a lot has changed during that time. But yeah, as you as you stated, we had a memo that came out in February of 2020, kind of anticipating some of these changes in practice that would need to occur in order to reduce the transmission of COVID-19. And uh, as you say, yeah, so we've got memo number two out currently. So you want to take us through some of those changes in uh, in memo number two to practice? For sure. So memo number two, the biggest change is that these considerations apply to all patients with signs of symptoms of respiratory distress. So we're done with the screening positive. It's all patients with signs and symptoms of respiratory distress. Yeah, and the impetus behind that change was is because um, again, this is such a virulent pathogen that a lot of patients may be asymptomatic with the virus itself, or they may be in their early stages of the, of the disease and really haven't developed that, you know, classic fever, cough, um, body rigors that occur with, with COVID-19. So the idea is if a patient has a respiratory distress, these, these, this applies because, again, these are the procedures that are going to aerosolize the viral particles, and that's why we've restricted some of these these procedures. So why don't you take us through some of those uh, new restrictions? For sure. So the restrictions include withholding all nebulized medications, all medications given via the endotracheal tube, withholding CPAP, and the change to the bronchoconstrictive medical directive, which includes if someone's in severe respiratory distress, with a history of cough and a history of asthma, they can receive IMFE up to a dose of two doses, with or without BVM as required. Another big change to note is that there are now more stringent conditions on when to consider BVM. So you have to have, what are those things, Matt? So when you have a BVM, the, the need the patient needs to be in respiratory distress. And we're allowing for a bit more permissive hypoxia and, and hypoventilation. Um, before we start bagging a patient or doing other airway procedures. And again, this is trying to weigh the risk versus the benefit, because as we know, these airway procedures can aerosolize the, the virus. We know that you'll be in your protective PPE, but again, PPE is not 100% effective. So we're trying to, to mitigate risk by only doing procedures when we absolutely have to. And again, when it comes to manual ventilation, we're looking at patients who are in kind of the extremes of, of respiratory distress. So again, tachypnea, meaning a respirate greater than 40, or hypoventilation, a bradnipia, which is a respirate less than six. In addition to that, their SATs have to be less than 85%, or their end tidal CO2 needs to be greater than 50 and increase by five more millimeters of mercury during your care for that patient. So again, this is more of a permissive hypoxia and hypoventilation that we're allowing for before airway interventions need to be taken. And Matt, just to clarify, is that SpO2 of 85% after giving oxygen or when you first find the patient? So that is after oxygen administration. This is using the, the um, you know, nasal prong six, you know, we want to keep it, you know, as low flow as possible because again high flow oxygen is seen as an AGMP. So if they can tolerate nasal prongs, that would probably be the first line of, of oxygen delivery that you want to give. If that doesn't bring their SAS up, then yes, you can move to your high concentration, low flow oxygen masks, which uh, will hopefully bring that uh, oxygen level up to the you know, 
hopefully higher than 85%, so we don't need to do these airway procedures for the patient. We can get them to the hospital where these airway procedures can be done in a negative pressure room with, you know, some hospitals will have specialized teams dealing with these airways. Um, and again, a very protocolized fashion in which they're dealing with these airways in the emergency departments. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Whole new world. The other changes to mention are withholding all intranasal medications, so naloxone, modafinil, and fentanyl, and instead using the other methods of delivery, so sub-Q, IM, and IV. Yeah, and, and so this one, again, this is really not coming out of any evidence. There's no evidence that IN administration of medication is aerosolized-generating medical, medical procedure. Um, this, again, is just probably done more of a, over overly cautious um, because, you know, paramedics have other routes which they can deliver these medications. So there's no need to be giving these medications from IN in case there is a very slight risk that this uh, could potentially transmit um, um, COVID-19. Again, no evidence to say that that it is uh, an unsafe route. We're just probably being overcautious with this one, given the fact that there's alternate routes that you can use. Great. The other things that we're suggesting you withhold in order to decrease those uh, respiratory pathogens are withholding trach reinsertion and withholding suction via the endotracheal or tracheostomy tube unless it's hooked up to a closed system suction unit. Yes, again, so suctioning, you know, that's to go to have airway secretions as an era AGMP. Um, on our Ask Mac COVID 19 website, we actually have a question related to a closed system suctioning. We have some kind of resources there where you can see what a closed suction system unit is. Um, you know, most of the units, I believe, in the Southwest are not closed systems. Uh, but if you have questions about this, then please ask your service leaders regarding your, your suction equipment. Thanks, and then the one other change to mention is that uh, we want you to communicate with the local facilities, pre-alerting the hospital with these patients, so that way they can prepare and have all the appropriate PPE when you come in. Correct. And the one thing that uh, we need to stress to uh, the paramedics in the Southwest is the use of language. And it's very important to use the proper language too, because it's a very different setup if a patient is known to be COVID-19 positive versus a patient who screens positive for potential COVID-19. So that you need to be very clear um, when you are communicating with the, the, the hospital as to, yes, they have COVID-19, they've been officially diagnosed with it, versus they have failed the screening tool or they're you know, screened positive COVID-19. So you have to definitely distinguish between, between the two. Um, one of the other uh, changes that came out from a regional perspective was in regards to ventilating a patient through the hallways of the hospital. And uh, that came out through a memo which has been distributed by your services. The uh, suggestion for that is to withhold ventilation as traveling through the hallways of a hospital or the emergency department until you actually get into the appropriate care area. And that is just to ensure that any bystanders without the proper PPE may not be exposed to the, uh, the um, potential aerosolization of the, of the virus itself. There's going to be some more language around um, that procedure in memo number three. Um, and again, memo number three, which we are actually discussing later this afternoon provincially, and that's how fast things are changing, we'll also be looking at uh, further airway management suggestions in addition to some uh, suggestions regarding cardiac arrest care. 
So the talks are ongoing. We're working on this and we will release this to paramedics as soon as we can and probably will be the, the main talk of, of our, our second podcast that we have if our first one is a success, of course, which I have no doubt that it will be. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lauren, for that. Very informative. And um, stay safe, wash those hands, and stay physically distant from everybody in the world. We've had a lot of Ask Matt questions come in lately due to COVID-19. Here's Dr. Matt Davis and Dr. Lauren Valdis with answers to some of your most frequently asked questions. Once again, joined here with Dr. Valdis to discuss our Ask Matt COVID-19 section. Lauren, do you mind just giving the, the audience a little bit of a, a down low on, on what, to what this entails? Sure. So Ask Matt COVID-19 is the same as our Ask Matt, where you can send in questions to us. They can be um, anonymous, or you can put down your name and your email. Um, but essentially, we are, as a uh, medical advisory council, answering your questions regarding COVID. And there is a turnaround target of less than 48 hours because we know that you want answers to your burning questions. So please send those in. You can found, find the link on our website. So our goal, yes, 48 hours. Please, please be gentle on us. We, if we get a whole ton of questions, it may be a bit longer. And again, I'm sure you're all aware that everyone is super busy dealing with this, but that is our goal. We will do our mess, best to meet that target for you. Lauren, are there any questions out there that we seem to be getting uh, more than one one question directed towards and maybe you can cover that and then uh, for the remainder of the questions we really encourage you to go check out the ask mac covid19 section check there for your your question to see if it's already been answered and if not then send us a question so how about that that one that i think we've had at least two maybe not three regarding this one so the one that has come up a couple times is a question as to can I still give nitro sublingually during the COVID pandemic? And the answer is yes, you can. So the intranasal medications are being withheld. We talked a little bit before about how there's no great evidence for that, but there are other routes that we can use that might be safer. So sublingual, still giving it. Yes, with nitro, we only have that route. And again, not an AGMP, giving that spray underneath underneath the uh, the tongue there. So Yes, continue giving the nitro for your acute pulmonary edema or your cardiac ischemia. And then one other question that uh, we've had a couple of questions around too. Sure. So we've had a question about the IM epi. So when to give it for bronchoconstriction. So a person must be in severe respiratory distress with or without the need for a BBM. But they also have a history of a cough and a history of asthma. So it's not for the COPD years. It's for those people with a cough, history of asthma, and severe respiratory distress. So you can give that IM epi up to two times. So very similar to what your standing directive is in the bronchoconstriction medical directive when it comes to IM epi. Again, the only change here is though, you, in terms of the need for manual ventilation with these patients with asthma, remember that that need for manual ventilation has changed with the memo. So now you, there's a, a, you can use that IM epi if they are in respiratory, severe respiratory distress. They may not quite meet the need for BVM, but they are definitely in respiratory distress and can be you know, heading in the wrong direction. Again, they need to have that history of asthma. 
This is not for the patient with COPD. This is not for the patient with CHF who are in respiratory distress. This is not for the patient who has, you know, potentially COVID-19 and uh, pneumonia, but no history of asthma or any other respiratory pathology. We don't want to be using epi in these patients. It has to be asthma. Thanks, Ben. Well, that was an information-packed session there, Lauren. Can you give us the Coles Notes summary and all the practice changes? Absolutely. And remember, if this is still a little quick, you can go to the SWARC website where all of these memos are updated as well. But a Coles Notes are you're withholding all nebulized medications, all endotracheal tube medications, you're withholding CPAP, as well as withholding IN medications and using other routes. You're withholding trach reinsertion, withholding suction via endotracheal or tracheostomy tube, unless you're using a closed system suction, and you have stringent conditions with when to consider BVM. So a respiratory rate greater than or equal to 40 or less than six, and they must have an SpO2 less than 85% with oxygen or an end title CO2 if available of greater than or equal to 50 and increases by a further five millimeters of mercury. And remember to withhold ventilation while transporting that patient through the hallways of the hospital or emergency department room until you get to the appropriate area and make sure you maintain a good two-handed seal uh, with that mask over the patient's face just to prevent any aerosolization of COVID-19. Thank you, Lauren, for that session. Thanks, Matt. And that concludes our first podcast. Uh, we want to thank you for, for joining us and taking the time to, to listen in. Again, there's, this is a very dynamic situation that we are all faced with. The landscape is changing, and so some of the information as we're recording this may be changing as we speak. Uh, we will do these podcasts as frequently as we can, pushing out information to you. And again, any practice changing information will be sent to you via memo, and we will also blast it on social media. So check in frequently for those practice changes. Uh, again, another great resource that we have is the Ask Matt COVID-19 section. If you have specific questions, go there to look first. If you don't have a, a question that's answered, then please submit a question, and we will do our best to get that back to you within 48 business hours. Uh, thank you again for joining us and uh, please join us on our second podcast, which hopefully will be coming within a week or two. On behalf of the Southwest Ontario Regional Base Hospital Program, I would like to thank each and every one of you for the excellent care that you are providing patients in the Southwest during this stressful time. Please remember to keep safe and again, thank you for all that you do.